What's the matter? What's the matter with you? Did you hear that? Hear what? That sound. What sound? Fletcher, I heard something. I, I heard a sound. A sound like... like... Sound like what? You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Straight Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And you know, I just, just realized I forgot I was going to tell you this before. I, you you saw, we've had this intro to the show for two two plus years, and there's a distinct Dennis Hopper moment of saying, let's go for a joyride. That's from the film Blue Velvet. I sat down and watched that finally. You would think that I would have watched that film before we started making this this podcast, but no, it took me two years. So I, I meant to tell you that earlier. I completely forgot. Very nice. One of my favorites. Um, they're putting out a new special edition Blu-ray this year as well. But uh, what'd you think? You like it? It, it was weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like, like um, I feel like it's one of those movies that, you know, like, and not this, this tells you already that, by the way, we're going to be talking about season three, episode 28, The Little People. I'm going to talk about Blue Velvet for a second. Uh, it's one of those films that, like, I feel like it, had I maybe watched it, or like, when I was younger, bef- like, it, it maybe would have like maybe hit me differently in the sense of like, wow, this is like dark Americana and there's all this stuff going on. And it's like, and I still get all of that. And I, there's a lot there that I respect. Dennis Hopper is just a maniac in it. Um, it's just that for, for the aura of this film, like in the shadow that's cast amongst like, you know, people talking about it, it doesn't seem that uh, controversial anymore. So I was trying to think of it at the time, um, you know, so I guess I was expecting like something that was much more of a sledgehammer, but I, but things have come since that, that I've seen. So it softened the blow a fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, David Lynch. I don't think anything ever really hits like a sledgehammer with his work. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with any of his other stuff, but I feel yeah. like he doesn't, completely always like land that sledgehammer well um, but, but like the, the Dennis of like an ending or anything like that yeah just well like his co- confrontation with um you know the main female character i forget her name in the apartment when kyle mclaughlin's watching everything that that's horrendous and that's what i kind of mean like that's just something like it is just uncomfortable to watch 
And for some reason, I kept getting this notion that 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 was going to be the whole movie, and it's not. Not that I wanted that, but you know, there's other things going on. It was just, there's these little weird like offshoots and like these bits. Like, um, oh, we talked about them on um on uh the what was it um uh, episode a couple couple weeks well, actually a couple episodes ago with um Al from Quantum Leap. Uh, shoot, Dean Stockwell. That's his name. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, it took me seven minutes to get there. Uh, like his his character just kind of floats in and floats out, you know. And it's like, and it's so bizarre and kind of great. And you don't know his story, but his performance is great, and that's it. Like, so there's things I appreciated. I, I just, you know, I just did not know what I was in for, you know. And I, you know, not in a bad way. It's just, it, it was an experience. Um, and I went on and did a lot of reading after trying to see maybe if there's something that I was, cause it's a complete story. It really is. It's just that the character stuff doesn't always, you know, if you, if you have, if you have questions about that, I think that's on purpose, but it's, it's like, it's just like a twisted little, like small American, like film noir that is really dark, you know? And yeah. so it's just like the, the dark side of, uh, American suburbia basically. Yeah. I mean, I like the whole Lumberton thing like how the radio was like the most banal like radio like at the sound of the falling tree it'll be 1205 it's like just yeah anyway i know that's not this i know it's not twilight zone but you, if anybody listens to this you always hear this hopper at the beginning so i figured the world would want to know that i finally got around to watching blue velvet and it was good it's just i didn't know what i, I guess i just didn't know what to expect so i kind of just let it you know do its thing and i came out the other end being like i'm glad i watched it there's things that i i wonder about but i think that's the point yeah definitely david lynch uh outside of maybe like twin peaks his most accessible work for people to jump into <laughs> yeah i mean if that's if that's his most accessible then like i mean i think i've seen lost highway it's been like i, I know the soundtrack to that which is awesome yeah but yeah amazing soundtrack so yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just I had my little mini. I want because I wanted to talk to you about it because you're the one that made the intro for the show. So like you know, I know you love Blue Velvet, and I know we know a lot of people that like Blue Velvet. So yeah. All yeah. right. Frank Booth Gentlemen's Club. Right. <laughs> now that takes a much darker connotation for me now that I've seen Frank Booth in action. Um, yeah. yeah. Like so, is that like nitrous? Is that what he's inhaling? And like, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, like it's just like I, I, I just every time he brings up that mask, I'm like, yep, bad things are happening. <laughs> yeah, so the Frank Booth Gentlemen's Club, uh, just for listeners who might not know, uh, there's a cinema wasteland, the movie convention in Cleveland, and uh, me and a bunch of my friends years ago uh, decided to all dress up like Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet and run around in the hotel, um, and it became it became like kind of a big thing. There were like 20 people at one point. <laughs> In this hotel, dressed like Dennis Hopper. And the initiation is and, they have to cut someone's ear off with a pair of scissors. <laughs> no, there was no initi- initiation, really. Uh, you basically just had to uh, show up with some PBR. You have um, to take a tube of lipstick, <laughs> smear it all over your face while the song Candy Coated Clown's playing, and you have to kiss somebody forcibly. That's well, the initiation. We did have our own, uh, our very own Ben in the group uh, <laughs> who would walk around with the light fixture mm. so he could sing uh roy orbison nice at, at any drop of the hat so we could all sing along so i appreciate that that's okay i appreciate that yeah. um but yeah anyway so 
<laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is yeah. a nightmare, though. If you've seen the film <laughs> and you see 20 Dennis Hoppers for Blue Velvet <laughs> coming at you, uh, it's. <laughs> I, oh. I wouldn't want to be that person stuck in the elevator. No, I'd just rather oh. hide in a closet with a naked Kyle McLaughlin and hope for everything just to pass. So that's. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. So this episode, uh, season three, episode 28, The Little People. Um, Air date March 30th, 1962. Uh, number one film, uh, Sweet Bird of Youth. It uh, I had never heard of this before. Um, it's, it's a 62 drama based off of a, a play by Tennessee Williams. And it is uh, focuses on a relationship between a drifter and a faded movie star. So, great. It has uh, yeah, Paul Newman. Oh, I'm sorry? I never, I never heard of that one either. Yeah, it seems like it's probably, it's probably a good drama. It's just something that... I, you know, I never heard of it. So, but people liked it that weekend. It was number one film. So, uh, number one song was Hey Baby by Bruce Chanel. Um, or is it Channel? I probably Chanel. Uh, and so let's see here. Um, oh yeah, I actually wanted to hear, there's another uh, paragraph about this film. This is why I wanted to talk about it. It said the film won the Academy Award for best actor, uh, for Ed Begley was nominated, um, for best actress for, you know, Geraldine Page and some other nominations. The film was sanitized uh, from the play because the character of Chance became a drifter rather than a, gig- a gigolo for hire. And um, so there's a, like a lot of things that were kind of whitewashed or not, not whitewashed, but changed. The ending was also heavily altered from the explicit sexual mutilation scene depicted in the conclusion of the original stage version. Oh, like. Which that piggybacks off really well from our talk just about Blue Velvet. So this, <laughs> this film was like a very, I guess, very brutal, like, you know, stage play that got sanitized and still was effective enough to get like Oscar nominations. But I've never heard of this before. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in the stage play now. Why yeah. isn't that coming through? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, all right. So. uh uh, well, also, let's see your day and date. Uh, the day after uh, March 29th, uh, Jack Parr uh, concluded his last appearance on the Jack Parr show, which was then informally known as the Tonight Show. Um, so uh, that was in March. But then October 1st, 62, Carson would take over as the host of the Tonight Show. So this was oh, yeah. like there was some kind of stuff in between. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was worthy of note because Carson, you know, ended up holding that for what till the, the mid 90s. So, yeah. Um, I actually, had to, I remember making a point to watch his last broadcast because I thought that was something that was important to watch. And yeah, uh, that's not, neither here nor there, but that that's, you know, Jack Parr. That, that's I'm not handing it a baton because I don't think he really, he ended up doing the Jack Parr show later. Uh, so I don't know if it was like a by choice, but that's, you know, what happened. So, and also on March 30th, which is the day this episode aired, uh, MC Hammer was born. So there's another <laughs> wonderful piece of trivia for you. <laughs> That's uh, it might be the only MC Hammer reference uh, ever on the show. <laughs> I mean, maybe for the original series, but wouldn't it be great if, like, you know, we get into like, uh, like the CW version and it's like, man, MC Hammer's all over this thing. Like, it'd just be, you know, <laughs> that's uh, why I said I said might. Yeah, <laughs> you never you never know what's gonna happen. It's true. So, um, yeah, that's what I got for Dan date. So weird, weird mutilation, Jack Parr and MC Hammer. And that's a sentence I thought I was going to say tonight. So there you go. <laughs> All right. We'll jump into cast and crew. Don't really have too much for this one. So this is going to be uh, kind of abbreviated. This episode was directed by William F. Claxton. Um, if we previously talked about him way back on the episode last flight and also this season, 
he directed one of our favorite episodes, The Jungle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll be doing one other future episode that I think is the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I didn't actually look up what the next one was. But yeah, like I... Like the jungle was a surprise, and the last flight was really that was season one, the Matheson story with the World War One pilot. Um, that was a really good episode too, like really good directing. Like you know, it was if I remember right, it was mainly three guys in a room, but like the the blocking and the the way that the episode moved was was quite good. Yeah the the next episode is uh, this season. It's the uh, Bradbury I sing the body electric episode. Oh okay, so. We'll we'll get to him there, and hopefully he start he uh, finishes out strong. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about our thoughts about this episode when, when we get there. <laughs> uh, episode was written by Rod Serling. Uh, the cast we have Joe Maross, who we previously talked about in third for the sun, third from the sun. He played Jerry. He plays the navigator Peter Craig in this episode. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. I was I was really happy. Like uh, before Kevin and I started recording, I mentioned sometimes it's nice to have cast members return because then if you guys want to hear our thoughts about his uh, his career, go back to uh, Third from the Sun. <laughs> yep, yep. If you're a huge Joe Moros fan, <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely go back and check that out. Um, the next up, we have Claude Atkins, who plays Commander William Fletcher, and he was Steve in the Monsters to Do on Maple Street. Yeah. Kind of the voice of reason in that episode. Yeah, he's a little bit more, um, a little bit more angry in this one. Uh, yeah. A little bit more still, forceful. still kind of the voice of reason, though. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all. That's all I got for him too. Like, it's weird that the both these guys had two appearances on the show, and that's it. Like, this was like, like they did those episodes, and this is it. And then they neither one of them went on. Like, I would have liked to have seen Claude Aikens, uh, Atkins, Aikens. Uh, like, I like him, and it's an, it's a shame that he didn't do more. Yeah, he's he's got a good face and a good voice, um, especially for the Twilight Zone for some reason. I don't, I don't know what it is about his face, but I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we got two other quick ones. We have Michael Ford, who plays uh, something else. I don't want to say <laughs> what it is. Um, it's, uh, the only other thing I wrote down for him was Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Um, I haven't seen it, but... It, it's a pretty famous genre of film, so yeah, he figured I'd bring it up because he only had like seven credits yeah, or something. Ten credits so. total, and one of them was called Machismo, 40 Graves for 40 Guns. So that's a, a Western, I'm sure, but I love that title. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing title. I don't know how I missed that. Um, <laughs> I thought then, you owned it. That's why I was like, I'm sure you'll talk about Machismo. <laughs> you would think. Um <laughs> And then we have Robert Eaton, who plays the other character that shall not be named. Mm-hmm. And this was his only acting credit. Yeah, you, um, I'm just going to say it now. It's his biggest role. Yeah, yeah his best <laughs> role and his worst role. Oh, yeah. I, I like my joke. You guys will appreciate it later. I thought it was wonderful. Um, <laughs> it was just a little funny. Yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, that's what we got for uh, cast and crew. Um, let's just get to get to Serling. The time is the space age. The place is a barren landscape of a rock-walled canyon that lies millions of miles from the planet Earth. The cast of characters you've met them: William Fletcher, commander of the spaceship; his co-pilot Peter Craig. The other characters who inhabit this place you may never see, but they're there as these two gentlemen will soon find out, because they're about to partake in a little exploration into that gray shaded area in space and time that's known as the Twilight Zone. 
I had to get that horn uh, blop at the end. I like that. Yeah, I like the bass kicking in there. Yeah. It's like um, Surly was about to flick the cigarette away and just start just, you know, singing, and, and then they cut away. Yeah, there's a, there's a band called Calibro 35. Um, I, I believe they are from Italy. Um, they do like Euro crime sounding soundtracks and stuff, but they've kind of branched out in other genres. And a few years ago, they made a, uh, an album. I think it was just called space. I'm trying to look it up just to make sure. Yeah. It's with periods in between each letter. So it was S P A C E. Um, and it kind of has that like 1960s, 70s, uh, funk infused sci-fi soundtrack stuff. Mm-hmm. And when that started kicking in, I was getting uh, I was getting that vibe hmm. quite a bit from it. So I might check uh, that out. That I highly awesome. recommend checking out that band. Their new album, Decade, is uh, uh, one of my favorite albums ever. Cool. That sounds that sounds right up my alley. So yeah, let's check that out. So um, yeah, I guess I'll let I'll let you start off uh, the little people here because there's a lot going on. Yeah, this is uh, a lot of dialogue. Um, so I, I again, I think this this talk's gonna be pretty quick through the plot as well but you open on we're in a familiar setting for the twilight zone uh, shot on shot in death valley which we've seen uh, i shot an arrow into the air mm-hmm. um, along with 100 100 years over the rim um the van uh, the rip van winkle caper i'm trying to think the there's so many episodes yeah, the lonely was all shot out there yeah they're they yeah it's it's a good uh foreign like you know landscape definitely yeah so uh, we're back there. We have a rocket, some sort of spacecraft that is down in a valley. So there's two astronauts who are there. Uh, one of them is trying to make repairs mm-hmm. and trying to fix the the rocket. The other one is just lounging around <laughs> complaining of, about how long they've been there, um, complaining about the food rations that they have, complaining about... Uh, I'm trying to think what else well, so yeah, uh, about what, being bossed around yeah. complaining about where they landed uh, emergency landing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, so he's just complaining literally about everything in this situation. Yeah. Like Fletcher's doing all the stuff and Craig is just uh, like, Oh, I can't believe you, you put us in the floor of a Valley. It's like, or Canyon, you put us in a Canyon. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't land at the best Western, like three Hills yeah. over, like just, you know, he just like his, his complaints seem weird to me. It's like, like and when Fletcher being like, you know, you like we're in one piece. We're not we're not broken. Like just shut up and, and be appreciative. Like I kind of I could kind of respect that. Yeah. Uh this episode moves at like a breakneck speed as far as like character beats mm-hmm. and uh character arcs, because immediately we're thrown into uh confrontation between the two characters. And um it, it things it, things take a pretty a deep turn into like him being sick of being bossed around and how what he really wants in life is power and he wants he wants people to follow him mm-hmm. and all this stuff it, it it takes a quick turn into uh kind of horrifying ground <laughs> yeah no, like fletcher's like trying to like basically he's like you know trying to kind of get his head around like why Craig is kind of being like an asshole, right? Right. And so, and it kind of bounces back and forth a little bit because he, like, you know, whenever Craig's upset about the food concentrate, which the way he talks about everything, it feels like that would be like a meal prep service people would pay money for now to be sent to them. 
Um, and they'd be like, oh, food concentrate. This is wonderful. I don't have to bake. Skip the dish. Um, but you know, he's kind of going through it and like bitching about this and, and everything. And, and Fletcher's like trying to like, you know, say, you know, like, there's, there's, there's some good surling dialogue in this that goes by so fast where like uh, Fletcher yells at him. He's like, if you got tears to shed, weep them into your pillow tonight. <laughs> like this whole, like, it's just this very, you know, purple prose of him yelling at Craig. Um, but then like with, with like he, Craig is kind of still indignant and Fletcher's trying to like suss it out. And he's like. He's like, I, I need, I want to figure out what makes you tick because you tick so loudly. And that, that is like the perfect description of Craig. And I, and I, I liked that. Yeah. So as, as they're having this, uh, this talk about how he wants power and all this, um, Craig hears a sound and he's, you can see uh, as he's like facing towards the camera away from Fletcher, uh, you can see his face, a facial expression change and he can hear something. He says it sounds like like voices and you heard it in the intro of our show. It just sounds like a little sped up, almost like chipmunks type thing (laughs) real quietly in the background. Yeah. And then that's when we get the whip pan to Serling, which I just want to point out, like, you know, he's in a distant world just smoking like, you know, you don't know. You don't know what kind of what kind of atmosphere this really is. You don't know what kind of supplies you got, but you, you know, be damned if you don't have tobacco, like smooth tasting tobacco. Like, like it's, I just like that, you know, Sterling doesn't care where he's at. He's going to smoke it up if he's got it. But yeah. How do you know that there's not some explosive gas mixed in with the oxygen (laughs) on this planet? You're just going to light one up. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I don't know. I I know again, you know, it's it's like, it's like 5% propane in the air or something. (laughs) It's like, cause you know, like with natural gas, like it doesn't actually smell that way. They have to put like something in it to make it smell. Like yeah, that so, just, like, so it could be, you know, you're right. It could be, it could be that, you know, we don't know. Um, granted, I'm sure if the rocket was landing in the atmosphere, that probably would have not ended well. Yeah, but. I, guess, I guess. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> there you go. Using science and, uh, it's a well, probably wrong there, no, but no, yeah, I no, guess but, they already tested that. But this whole, you know, this whole episode is based upon some strong science. So, you know, it starts here. Um, <laughs> No, I just, I just like the Serling's like, oh, I don't care. Like distant, distant uh, rock. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm smoking, you know, the Chesterfields, the, the, whatever the softest taste or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, we cut back, uh, to them like, well, actually we cut back to Fletcher working and it looks like he has like a space Keurig. Like he has like on this, like, like this tray, like it looks like a space coffee maker. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty cool. Um, but he pulls it off and there's like a dish on it or something. I don't know, like science stuff. And that's, only he could find some water. Yeah. He could have like the best English toffee ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, I just feel like, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to have some downtime working on a spaceship, you should at least be able to have a cup of coffee. You know, that that feels appropriate. Um, But yeah, like Craig, Craig just wanders back and like Fletcher's still working. He's like, Oh, where you've been spending your days at. It's like, what you you guys neighbors now? Like you, like uh, you've, it's been, it's been like weeks, like what, you know, like, I don't know. Just the way Fletcher addresses him. It just implies that like Craig has just been gone like on walkabout forever. He was like, what are you, how are you spending your days these days? How's the kids? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I like. So as he's working, uh, Fletcher is just sweating Mm -hmm. profusely. And I like that they have the two sons on here. It's, uh, between that and death Valley, it's, it's, it's enough (laughs) to show that it's a different world. But I, I like the two something. Um, but he realizes that Craig isn't sweating and he hasn't drank anything <laughs> yeah. in a long time. So he's like, what have, what have you been doing out there? Did you find a water source or something? Um, 
And then it, it, they end up getting into a little bit of a scuffle and Fletcher knocks the stuff Craig is holding out of his hands. And there's a little box with some sort of uh, something plant yeah. plant like substance in it. I, I don't I couldn't tell what it was initially, but they they quickly explained what it is. Well, is and, it, why don't you explain what that is? Paul? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first, I think at one point Fletcher Fletcher accuses him being of a call calls him a grossing Mockington, I think is what he calls him. I made that. Yeah, make- <laughs> there are a lot of weird uh, insults in this that I, I couldn't even figure out what they were to write down in time. <laughs> I, w- I will give you a dollar the next time we're together. If we're amongst a crowd of people and you accuse somebody of being a grossing Mockington, I, I will give you. <laughs> I, I think I know a few grossy Mockingtons. <laughs> so there you challenge go. accepted. Perfect. A dollar well spent. Um, so, so Fletcher he takes his box. It looks like a box of moss and he takes his magnifier. Um, I think that's what he calls it. And it's like this big, big, huge, like, you know, it's definitely like 1960s sci-fi. Like, you know, like it looks like, it looks like, um, like not a, not a microscope, but it looks like something like a telescope, like in terms yeah. of like you would like, or not a telescope, like, right? like a kid's telescope. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he goes and zooms in on it. And he's like, these look like trees. And he's like, yeah, they are. And basically he's like, yeah, like the, like, Craig's trying to explain to him a little bit, um, but then they go back and forth. He's like, yeah, I'm going to check this out. And he pulls out this little tiny thing that looks like it's like the head of a pen, like like a, a, a ballpoint pen. It holds it in his hand, and Fletcher brings you know his magnifier and looks at it, and it's a little truck. It's a little tiny truck. <laughs> like, in, um, like, and I wrote in my notes, a micro machine. That's what I wrote in my notes. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so so I like to believe that, uh, um, Craig's kid just like stuck it in his space suit before they left. And he's like, I found this. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, like it's so, it, the size of that vehicle is so small. Like, I mean, I get that that's like, that's the point of this episode, but it's like, it's incomprehensible how, like small that is, you know, and um, like you, you would like it, it would look like the size of like a grain of rice, maybe, you know. Um, so Fletcher's like, okay, what's going on? There's tiny trees. There's a tiny truck, and Craig's like, oh, I, you know, I found this thing. It's about like you know, I said like a mile away or something. Yeah, and, he said yeah. he found a stream. Yeah, it's about it, it runs about a hundred feet, and it's about two and a half inches wide. It <laughs> <laughs> somehow. That has been what's sustaining him. He doesn't have to sweat. Like, I just wonder about that. Like, knowing what we know what happens later, it's like, I feel like that that resource would have been gone pretty quickly for him. Um, or an average human, you know? Like, so uh, So Fletcher, you know, says, take, they, take me to it. And they, and they go. And this is when you find the big discovery of the episode is that there is a... Um, a civilization, a really tiny civilization, and the floor of this canyon, and their their development is very similar to our own because they have trucks, they have boat docks, like they get to go and actually have fun. Like it looks like there's like these little tiny, like you know, boats that you would take like a regatta or something. Like it looks like it looks like a pretty yeah. Nice there's little, a little harbor with yeah. a bunch of different types of boats. Yeah. There's buildings, um, and anytime they were near it, you could hear the sounds of civilization, like traffic and <laughs> like kids playing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Basically, I guess that's what uh, Earth sounds like from space. <laughs> is what they're I trying mean, to say. Dude, I, like when I when I flew out to Vegas like two years ago, it's like you know America was just so goddamn loud while I was up in the airplane. I was like, could you keep it down with all yeah, your traffic that and traffic kids playing from New York? Yeah, all the way and like hear it all the way from space. <laughs> 
terrible. <laughs> but I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, um, for the purpose of this episode, I I mean, what else do you do? Yeah, right. As far as audio for something like this. So, um, so you know, Fletcher's questioning, you know, uh, Craig, like, well, can, can you talk to them? And he's like, well, he's like, we, you know, it's a different language. However, you know, I've been using math. And like, it's like, at first I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And I stopped. Them. I'm like, that doesn't make sense whatsoever. But whatever, you know, like he's using like math to get like everything across. And he's just, you know, basically. But, yeah. But we don't see any of that throughout no. the rest. The rest of the episode, he's just screaming <laughs> at the little people. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. Whatever he had figured out as far as communication with math. Yeah. Apparently, he just abandoned and just decided to scream at the society of uh, tiny people. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he shows like, um, like, well, actually, we should back up a little bit. We talking about the forest. He's like, yeah, he's like, I ate a lot of a forest the other night too. It's like you're just ripping like tracks of land out, just eating it because, well, one, you know, you're much larger than them, and you don't care about like, you know, Oh, look at that. It's trees. I'll eat them. Like, it just feels like very arbitrary of like, I discovered this thing that's never been discovered before. And I want to drink, like, I want to drink all their water and eat these trees. But, but I want them to respect me as a God. Like, like it's this whole, yeah. Craig has some issues. Um, but he's yeah, trying, I just, yeah. uh, do you think eating trees tastes better than those rations? No, no. I would, uh, <laughs> like at least those rations are probably salty. I'm yeah. sure it's like mostly sodium. Yeah, but it's got to taste better than just ripping tiny trees out of the ground and eating them. Yeah, I just, I mean, and you gotta I imagine <laughs> there, so there might have been like some tiny people in there. I just, you think maybe you know, um, or tiny squirrels, tiny squirrels. I mean, <laughs> what kind of animals? Like, what, what's the fauna down in the? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, well, like, did you, you, you watch Rick and Morty, right? Like, I don't know, like if you're all yeah, caught up, yeah, like, like, there's I'm the one up on it. where, what was it? Season two, they go on the run and they end up on that tiny earth. And it's like, like they, it looks like it's really tiny in the distance, but they go to pull up to it. It's actual size. Oh, and yeah. so at one point they talked about how in the morning they're like, oh, it's like, uh, we, uh, we hunted out all the tiny pigs and ate bacon and we exterminated the species. It's like, that's what this is. Like, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. Um, is that the episode that has the screaming sun? Yes. When it rises, <laughs> yes. that's, that's, I just brought that up the other day and was laughing for like 20 minutes yeah. about it out of nowhere. Because it was that so. one, um, the, the, what was it, the one planet they land on that everything is like cob shaped. And like, yeah, and, and Rick's like, we have to everything get out of something here. on a cob. Get out of cob. That's amazing. And he's no. terrified of it. He won't explain why. And they get out of there. And then there's the, episode, the planet with the, the screaming sun. Yeah. Like, uh, that would have been amazing if one of the suns <laughs> on uh, whatever planet they were on just screamed the entire episode. And the other one's like, shh. Like it's a constant battle between the sons, but yeah, like, so Craig, like, like he's like, you get this, you, you see early, like he gets crazy eyes early in this and is talking to Fletcher about like, you know, all this stuff. And then he just, he's like, you know what? Like he says something, he starts just stomping around and like, just starts just breaking shit. Like for the, you know, people and the scale, like you see like the, his boots stomping on houses and the houses scale wise are much bigger than the trees we'd seen and the um and the, the the truck we saw so i get it i know it's a problem because like you're trying to create the sense of scale but it's massively different but you just see this boot crushing houses and he's just like yeah that's what i do and fletcher's like what's wrong with you you know he's like i'm a god and he's like but now you've certainly introduced him to the concept of the devil like you know this whole thing like fletcher's feeling like remorseful like he feels like he should leave these people alone and craig's just being a dick you know, like yeah. it's, 
<laughs> yeah. Now, can we talk about the effects too? Yeah. Of like the uh, uh, the green screen hand pointing out over the little civilization. Yeah, it was this weird, like not rotoscope or something. It's like it, yeah. It you you try to get the sense of you know of scale, and it just doesn't quite work. No, and, that and like it, it, it doesn't even seem to make sense from like perspective. No, it doesn't. I was like, we didn't even need that shot, and even the one of like the foot yeah. hovering over. Um, I think it may have been this scene or later on in the episode. It was just unnecessary shots that just uh, looked terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and you're right. And um, what was it? Uh, one of the lines that Craig said I want to mention, he's like, I went from a, a, a slob with a slide rule to a god, and then he starts stepping on houses. Um, but I, I so... And so he starts stomping around, and since Claude Aikens is the one trying to stop him, I made him a note here that the monsters do on Tiny Street. That's what I wanted to say there. <laughs> um, you know, and so then after he stops, Craig and he he looks and you hear like you hear all the like the panic tiny voices. Like it's like clearly they're yeah, freaking like out. sirens going yeah. off and everything. <laughs> you hear fire trucks. It's like tiny fire trucks. You hear it, and he's like, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." And it's like I don't know how you convert that into math for them to understand, but you know he, he felt bad about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought they were going to introduce some idea of like they would start worshiping uh, Fletcher yeah, because he introduced like it, you think you're introducing the idea of God to them. But now you've also introduced the idea of the devil. I thought they were going to play out some sort of thing with uh, Fletcher being God and Craig ending up being the devil or something. So I was kind of happy when they shied away from that sort of a thing after well, the scene. And he, because it seemed like the obvious place to go with this type of story. Yeah. And he even says it like a little later about like, you know, once we're out of here and they realize what happened, he's like, maybe they'll worship me. Like, you know, he says yeah. it kind of offhand, but yeah. So, uh, so it stops that initially. And then uh, Fletcher comes to find, like we go to the scene break, uh, like uh, commercial break. Fletcher comes back to try to find Craig. Uh, Cause he's going to tell him that you know, the ship's repaired. And we're out of here. Um, but he comes across this like like full size statue of Craig. Um, that's like this white stone statue with him wearing his helmet, you know. And it's like, it. I, I get what was going on with this, and it, you, know, you know, and it just shows like this, like that. Literally, he made he made them make a monument to himself. But again, sense of scale, and they say that they did it overnight. Like I just, you know, and also, how did you describe this? Like, how did you ask for the statue other than yelling at them? I don't know, but Craig was pretty proud of himself that he made the tiny people make a statue of him, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, you're stuck on this, like, you know, rock with limited resources. Yeah. Make them make a statue of you. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Why, why don't you hire the little people to fix the, the rocket? Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I don't know something, but the statue is funny though. I love the space helmets in this because yes. they look like old football helmets. <laughs> And I love that since Craig is actually, it's his last name. So his last name is on the helmet. So every time he's like talking, you just see Craig on his helmet. <laughs> and I just, you know, um, you know, I wrote, what was it uh, here? Something about that. I was like, yeah, I can't really believe in a God that has his name on his own helmet. Like that feels a little weird to me, but yeah, it was, it's a, the, the helmets didn't help the credibility of the scene. I'll just say no, that. No, <laughs> but it was uh, Claude Atkins. So like his character, every time he could cut, Craig down he would mm -hmm. it was so funny um but it, yeah so it, as he's like all right I'm leaving the ship's leaving in 15 minutes um you better you better be on there because if you stay here um 
you're going to have these people, but eventually you're going to be lonely and all this. So he Craig pulls a gun on him or some sort of gun. Yeah. Uh, My wife was like, why are you pulling a bottle out at me? But uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's like, I will, I will uh, return this to the vendor for a nickel and then throw that at your head. Uh, But yeah, it was like, it was again, like it's 1960s sci-fi, you know, ray gun, whatever, but he takes a shot and and credit to the, this is one thing I'll say, like he, so he hits the statue and breaks the head off, but it's a glancing shot and it scratches um, uh, Fletcher's face. And that was actually like, I mean, granted it, you know, if that actually happened, it'd be way worse, but credit to the, the, the episode to show him actually like have, you know, blood on his face from being hit. Like that was kind of a like um, it, it's not graphic, but it definitely gets the point across of like you know he was he was nearby and this was meant to this was meant to intimidate. Yeah, but you could see his facial expression change as well, and he's like, "I'm leaving. <laughs> like you can come or you, or you can stay here. I yeah. don't care. Like I'm 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 out." Um, and I, there's a great shot of the uh, broken head of the statue on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really great imagery for this episode. Probably my favorite shot of the whole thing. Probably yeah. the most memorable shot of this whole episode as well. Um, but I like how like Craig like shoes him off. He's like, there's just room for one God. And then, uh, so as Fletcher leaves and this is when, when Craig goes from being like overacting to just like it, if he was already at like, like a seven, he's now went to like a 12, like out of 10, like it is just gone you know and i and i wrote my notes come now the age of peter craig like that's not an intimidating god name but <laughs> you know and then i was like also for someone who wants to be god he just likes breaking things so like a little kid he just his immediate reaction is okay i'm gonna start stomping and make you guys realize who i am and he's like and like you said he just starts shouting things at them he's like we're going to do the statue again and he's just like you know like yelling <laughs> that's at a all great them. comparison to like a little kid because he is acting like a little kid with a magnifying glass over an anthill yeah like that that's basically where his mindset is at by the by this point of the episode yeah but he has like that kooky crazy laugh that people get you know like it seems like it only happens in like tv and movies where he's just like "Ooh, we're going to do this now (laughs) it's like yeah and he's just rolling around (laughs) while he's laughing it's it's so over the top yeah i like i know that they couldn't do it but I, i wish that there would have been like a quick shot uh, from their perspective of what was going on like you just see like the world in tatters there's fires there's fire trucks and everyone's like screaming and you just see this this large object just rolling around in the distance and you just hear this laughing deafening you know like that would have been horrific but also kind of funny yeah um so as this is happening there's this loud whirling noise um and it, it sounds like another spaceship coming or going or something he doesn't know what's going on he's like oh it's it's fine it's fine he's still talking to little people and then there's more noises it sounds like like loud booms and he looks up over the over the valley and there's two giants two giant spacemen looking down at him (laughs) yeah i mean but I like because when when the no, the noise quiets down, he was like Craig's like I I told you that we'd be fine. Then he he sees them, and so like of course your instinct is to yell as loud as you can at the two giant spacemen saying there's only room for one god, and these guys are you know like you know I just they're you know 
Godzilla-sized people. It's like, you, what do you think is going to happen when you yell at something much larger than you that you're a god? You know, yeah. and like the the one the one guy's like, oh, tiny people. And he goes and picks up Craig, and the other guy's like, you killed him. He's like, oh, well maybe you get probably most hysterical shot, uh, top ten most hysterical shots on the Twilight Zone. A little crushed Craig inside the palm of this giant's hand. <laughs> yeah. So that that's great, but then what happens immediately after is actually one of the most savage things I've seen in the Twilight Zone. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But but like the, the other spaceman's like, "Yeah, he's like he's like like just put him down. Like we're here to fix our ship, you know? Like we don't we don't have time for, you know, tiny people." And so then the guy just drops him like back on the ground and like with like you just you it's it's implied that he's a straight dropped his crushed body with rocks falling all over him. And it's like it's actually pretty brutal looking like just yeah yeah, yeah the crushed body in the palm though is yes. so funny looking <laughs> um but even further insult to injury when he throws him down and the rocks fall on him the final thing that falls on him is the rest of his statue yeah which is kind of a, a nice fitting like end yeah. to that um but then we, the episode's not quite over yet because well the statue actually i'm sorry that he he falls down uh, there's the rocks, and then what happens is that there's a revolution. The tiny people actually put ropes up on the statue, and you hear victory as they pull it over his dead body. That's, that's right. That's what that's happens. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like, because that all makes sense. <laughs> you know, like, so, but it's like you just hear this, like, little tiny, like, hooray, like, noises. This is all going on, and it's like the statue gets rocked and it falls over his body. And that's, that's your, uh, well, that's your episode. Yeah. You think this all took place over, a short period of time in the episode, but you got to think those tiny people, their lifespans are way shorter. So that probably <laughs> felt like a, almost a half a lifetime of this God. Uh, so a lot of things could have happened. Yeah. So what I think of whenever you like, think about the <laughs> I'm reality, trying to, I'm trying to make sense. Yeah. No. So you, like, if you're this, like you know, this tiny race of people that this, this, this monster destroyed most of whatever, and then he died and then, you know, whatever, like they're um, in the old man, Logan uh, original comic series. It's this like future, like future where, you know, things are messed up. Wolverine's still around. He's an old man. Like just the, the world has been like America's been divided into a couple different like areas because the villains won. There is an area called, was it giant fall or something? And it's, um, it's giant man. Uh, I think it's him. One of the, one of the guys that can get really big died and his body has just been left and like part of the city is now kind of grown up and spurt like up around his bones. And it's like this big, like big person graveyard that people are living around. And it's, it makes me think of this. It's like, these people are like, well, we, yep, we toppled the statue over Craig's going to rot. And what's going to happen to the civilization whenever like, he becomes this big stinking mess. Yeah. That's, a, that's a dark thought. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, that's why I was covered in Marvel, you know, like, but it was just, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, I feel like there's so many things that are on the fridge of this episode. I'm like, that's horrific. That's horrific. That's way worse. And it's all kind of glanced over and it's just, it's, it, it's an odd, it's an odd episode. I just feel like if Craig had lived in a time in which SimCity existed, he, th this, this would never happen. He would have just been playing on his laptop, feeling like a God, breaking, breaking a city, you know, causing fires and then laughing as everybody runs around in terror. And not moving doors and bathrooms. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah, like playing the Sims, making sure that you put somebody in a pool and remove the ladder, you know, <laughs> like all that stuff. <laughs> um 
yeah, I just this this feels like an ep- like a season one episode, but like one that had been like, oh well, they're still just trying to find their footing, you know? Like yeah. it's just, uh, it. I think there were good ideas. I think it's just really rushed. Yeah, and uh, like you said, there uh, there are these things kind of outside of the episode that it makes you start thinking of. And I feel like if you had more time to explore, um, more time to show some sort of character arc within Craig, I think it would have had a little bit more potency at the end. But it's just everything is so breakneck. I mean, you go from a little argument about being stuck on this planet to wanting power to immediately finding the civilization and turning into like a ruthless, angry God, like in the matter of like 10 minutes. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it doesn't give you time to digest anything as you're watching this, which makes for a easy, quick watch, but, uh, definitely not the most memorable and definitely not the most entertaining. <laughs> no, no. Cause unfortunately, I mean, and I, I'm not going to put this at, um, Joe Moross's feet for the character of Craig. I think, and, I guess I'll just put this at Sterling because like whenever sometimes you can tell whenever he doesn't necessarily have like the, the most a to B plot in terms of like, we have to get through a lot of story, his, his writing of dialogue, like it, it, it you know, expands out and it gets really, really verbose and, and it's fun to hear, but it's not, that's not how people talk. Yeah. And it, some yeah. actors can pull it off some um, better than others. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he was one of those actors that was necessarily the best for Serling's dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but he do, he does a fine job with it. I, I didn't necessarily have much of a problem with it. I just think it was rushed. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So this but, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. I was going to mention because um, just kind of adding on that. I guess Serling did reapproach something similar to this later on. Um, in one of the hour-long episodes, okay, uh, in one of the later seasons. So this episode might come up in conversation again uh, later on down the road. I mean, it's it's a concept again. Like it feels like this in the sense of like this type of idea of you know scale. Like even even if you even if you look at the invaders, which that's not his story. Like you had Agnes Moorhead, who was a huge you know person compared to the tiny spacemen, which were actually Earthlings. You know, like, so like, it's, it's not something, it's something we've seen before and it, you know, it kind of, you know, like flips the script a little bit because now it's, you know, us with the small people versus us being small and attacking her with a knife and like, you know, a steak knife into her ankle. Um, you know, so there, there is, there is some interesting ideas here. And I think I like that the idea of the little people, the title it does kind of work a couple different ways. I like that. Cause it's like, cause definitely Craig, he is a small man, you know? Yeah. And get, and, and, well, I guess our comparison of yeah. him basically having the mindset of a child with a magnifying glass. Yeah. Uh, like uh, I could definitely see the, uh, uh, the idea in the title there. Yeah. So, uh, and th- this is something that's been used in a couple of different things. Like we just mentioned, uh, the, the, there was an episode of Rick and Morty where they did the tiny planet. However, there was actually another episode of Rick and Morty, uh, what was it called? The Ricks must be crazy whenever it's the one where his battery doesn't start in his, his spaceship. So he and Morty go into the battery and, and Rick has made a tiny universe of people just to jump up and down to power the battery. Um, <laughs> and that's the episode where like the car is to keep summer safe and it gets really morbid how the car oh, keeps her right. safe. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, that's the one where he just convinces these people that he's a god or an alien from another like another planet. And then uh, the, their scientists figure out the same thing, and that scientist is Stephen Colbert, and he makes a, a small universe so they can get power, and it just keeps going, like, folding in on itself. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, there's that. And then um, there's another Simpsons Treehouse of Terror that you've not seen called the Genesis Tub. Where Don't assume I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Uh, no, so I the, haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, you think this story moves by fast. This one's, like, what, like eight minutes? Where uh, Lisa... Um, was going to do a science science fair experiment by taking a tooth and putting it in, in cola to see how fast it dissolves. And then something happens where Bart's messing with her and he ends up like static shocking her and it hits the tub. And she wakes up the next morning and realizes she's created a, a race of people, like a little tiny race of people. And like technologically, they're moving fast. And but because Bart sees this, he goes through and puts his finger in the, you know, the the dish and starts breaking things. And so they uh, mounted attack against him, and then it turns out this whole thing where they view her as God and him as the devil, like you were saying um, in this episode. But it's just, it's real quick, and it deals with the same things of like, you know, scale and ownership of an, an entire race of people, but it's in a petri dish with a tooth, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's fun. Um, but yeah, so this is something that's clearly been revisited multiple times. Yeah. And uh, there were, uh, I, I saw a few things about, this idea maybe have come from a book. Um, I wrote it down somewhere in my notes here. And now I can't find it. Um, Sydney Carroll's. Oh, it was a short story called none before me about a, uh, a person who lived in a house full of these miniature dolls and basically treated them as like children to hmm. do his bidding. I guess so. Weird. Um, it, yeah, it, it's a, a lot of people have kind of said that maybe Serling had read that short story because it was it was published in one of Bradbury's collections um, or something like that. So um, it, a lot of people speculate that Serling may have read that short story and it sparked an idea, which we've seen that happen uh, multiple times throughout the these first three seasons just yeah. with how fast he had to turn over ideas and scripts. And we, but it, it, it sounds different enough that I don't think anyone would claim plagiarism. It just, you can see reading that would spark some idea uh, that would uh, lead to this episode. Yeah. Um, and I, there's even, I think we talked about this last season, maybe a little bit that like he and Bradbury kind of, well, Bradbury kind of had a chip on his shoulder for Serling because he kept accusing him of taking his ideas and turning them into like, you know, episodes that were kind of adjacent to some of his stories. And they eventually worked out a deal to where uh, Bradbury get a couple of scripts on the show, which we're going to get to this season. So yeah, yeah it makes. Well, me you can. It, yeah. I I could even see a little Bradbury in this episode as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of got like the Bradbury like space tale uh, <laughs> to it. So I I I could see that in this yeah. one as well. So I don't have any notes about the actual script. Like they're like in all my resources that I have, there was really nothing there about it. Um, they they just talk about how uh, like Buck Houghton discussed how the final scene with the the two large astronauts. Um, it was a composite and match shot with them combined with footage of that they didn't use in terms of like the the ridge line from I shot an arrow into the air. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's probably why I'm not happy with this episode. It has elements <laughs> literally from I shot an arrow into the air. Um, yeah, evoking frustration <laughs> yeah. for me. It's just like, ah. yeah. yeah. 
Um, so, and then also the out, the outfits the two characters wore were actually um, the same ones used by the space guy, like the not spacemen, but the people visiting uh, the character in the Lonely. They were just slightly modified, like so that was actually the actual costumes, but they were changed a little bit. Um, so there's there's interesting stuff how like there's there's a lot of things being reused here, and you know I. I it, it all it all evokes something similar, but then there's just something. You're right. This thing, this it, the the story of it moves by so fast that it's hard to give it its place. You know, and I don't know. Like it was, I like the idea, and I think there's some fun to be had in this. It just, you know, it's not going to be something that's going to come back in my, you know, like I should watch that again. Unless you want to see, you know, Craig crushed in the giant's hand. That's about it. Yeah, I, I might rewatch just that that <laughs> ending scene, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it and the the ray gun that we we're discussing, it looked like the bottle was also from uh, Forbidden Planet. Yeah, well, there's some speculation that the the space Keurig was also from that too. Like, oh, okay. like I yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm um, just assuming yeah. every single uh, prop and costume in this episode was just taken from. <laughs> Forbidden Planet outside yeah. of the football helmets. <laughs> yeah. um, there's one other episode of a TV show I'm going to uh, recommend people have not watched. It's an episode of Futurama called Godfellas, where Bender's like flying through space and he ends up in a, um, like a meteor shower and a meteor hits him and lands on him. And then it's actually a, a small race of people that view him as a god. And it I goes. I vaguely to, remember that one. I'm pretty they, sure I've seen that one. They, they, he forces them to make him alcohol because that's what he runs off of. <laughs> so they actually make a microbrewery for him. And the whole thing is like every time they reach out to him for help, he tries to give them a solution and he makes things worse. So it becomes this <laughs> microcosm literally of like, you know, you view me as a God, but when I try to help, I make things bad. And when I don't care, like when I don't help, I make things bad. So what do I do? You know? So yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it I went back and specifically watched this episode after watching the twilight zone just to, just to see, you know, clearly, I mean, because Futurama has the scary door, which is the Twilight Zone ripoff, like making fun of. So yeah. every you can tell this is all from a love of this, but it's just interesting to see the different interpretations of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. apparently, as much as we weren't totally fans of this, it, this is a episode that pe- stuck with people. Because you know, um, it's yeah. popping up all over in pop culture. <laughs> I, I mean, just as much as uh, To Serve Man, I feel like that wasn't a strong episode. But the ending has, like, you know, just constantly followed, you know, everybody around in terms of, like, what they remember about The Twilight Zone. And I feel like this is one of those, like, plot ideas that everyone's like, huh. And then it gets it gets uh, interpreted, I think, um, much better elsewhere. But that's okay. Like, it's, yeah. it's okay to have something out there, like, first – if it gets reiterated upon and makes interesting things worth exploring later. And uh, like I said, uh, maybe Serling does get a chance to redeem himself on this idea. We'll see. Yeah, so. maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the episode. So yeah, well, I'm sure when that pops up, we'll know exactly what, what's going to happen. We'll talk about it. So yeah, uh, I, I don't got anything else for this, uh, this episode. I don't have any other notes. No. no. Yeah, that was, I, I barely had any notes for this episode, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I did this thing where I was taking, like, I was just trying to react to the dialogue and it just, there's so much dialogue that I did not get. Like, there's some, there's some good choice dialogue that if you take removed from the episode, that's just wonderful surling, just like, you know, stingers, you know, of like the two guys like chipping at each other. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I feel like this would be a better teleplay to read than to watch realized as an episode. Yeah, I mean, considering you never see the little people to begin with, all you gotta do is make like fire truck noises and you'd be good. So, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you know, I I don't know, but, uh, but so cute. Yeah, so little cute. fire trucks, yeah. but not little fires. It's adorable. <laughs> and then huge, huge swaths of tiny trees being ripped up and then and stuffed into a box to be eaten later. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, all right. So, um, yeah, I guess we're just going to rate the twist uh, for what if they're whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't put anything down because I don't know what like if the twist is that, you know, Craig is now small as well because there was giants there. Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting it, but I wasn't. I, I was not expecting it at the same time. Like, it felt like that was the natural really? progression of, of this, course. this episode. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to call it out. But um, yeah, when it happened, you're like, well, of course, that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. So I, I, I'm going to give this a two just because. It, it doesn't change anything other than perspective, you know, like, like, uh, you know, Craig, Craig thought he was a God and then uh, there's, there's a much bigger God out there, you know, and that's that. And then he gets crushed pretty fast. And then that's, and then, but I like that. I do respect that the two spacemen were like, we don't have time to mess with tiny things. We have to fix our ship. So they learn their lesson. So, you know, they can get their ship fixed and much bigger aliens won't come and mess with them. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I'm gonna give it a three, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel pretty much the exact same way you do about this one. Uh, I didn't see it coming, but it it made sense, and it it wasn't really shocking or anything. Uh, I think them discarding his dead body into a pile <laughs> of rocks was more shocking than them even showing up. Yeah. So I'll, I'll bump it up to a three, just based on uh, that kind of brutal ending. Yeah. So all right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for the little people. Um, so, and before we talk about the next episode, Kevin, how can people find us? I uh, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us and leave us voicemails at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail.com. And then uh, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. We're there. If you're listening to us, you probably already found one of those. So, if you could do us a favor and head to your favorite, um, place that you get your podcast from and leave us a review it'd really help us out yeah and just want to mention that uh we just finally discovered that we can find itunes reviews like in the world as opposed to just in, like the u.s because uh, kevin pointed this out to me last night while he and i were talking and we we got a, a wonderful five-star review um from I, I am going to mess up the name uh it is d apostrophe a r q u i e so de arke i think maybe that's or i don't know how you pronounce that so i apologize for messing that up but he gave us five stars, said, I first heard about this podcast from the Talk Without Rhythm podcast with Al Goro, and I've been listening since the first episode. Paul and Kevin provide great insight to the episodes with behind-the-scenes information and an enjoyable conversation for every episode discussed, except for the little people. He didn't say that. But but no, we thank you for the review. That was awesome. We appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's amazing. Um, and it definitely helps get the word out there because I think iTunes – the more reviews, even just star reviews you get, pushes you up. So when people are searching for certain types of podcasts, it'll be easier to find us. Um, so thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank we, you again. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. So next episode. So actually, I should say um, we're, we're going to take a week off because uh, there's family things going on. So we're taking a week off. And also, we've got to just relax after this intense episode of The Little People. Uh, but when we come back, it's going to be an episode called 4 o'clock. <clears throat> uh, next week. 
an ex- exceptionally fine actor named Theodore Bickle portrays a misguided kook who fancies himself some kind of guardian of law and order. He decides that it's his mission in life to eradicate evil the world over. Now, this one is uh, to a very far out. But considering the nature of the times, it happens to be very close in. Next week, an exercise in insanity. It's called Four O'Clock. Set your watches and come on in. This cigarette, the Chesterfield King, gives all the advantages of extra length and much more. The great taste of 21 vintage tobaccos grown mild and blended mild, aged mild and blended mild. No matter, they satisfy so completely. Gotta love the cigarette. Pretty sure ads. I wrote blended mild a few times, but hey, whatever. I, I believe that the Chesterfield King is blended mild. I, yeah, I just you know like I now that they've been like I've been finding them more and more often. I'm like I'm gonna read them. I don't like it's this is great. <laughs> I'd be like like I, I want that person that was watching this episode as it aired to be like. So is the next episode about cigarettes? I don't know. Like just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't remember the four o'clock brand of cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's right there by the, the, the chlorophyll cigarette, you know, uh, the taste of green. Uh, yeah. so, all right. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, before we go though, yeah. I want to, since we aren't doing an episode next week, um, if you want to hear more discussion about, uh, some uh, ninjas, uh, Paul was so <laughs> great to have me on invasion of the podcast, uh, last night actually yeah. to talk about enter the ninja, uh, fun canon ninja film with uh franco nero and show kasugi in it so if if you're itching for more of our discussions uh go check out invasion if you haven't already well no thank you for coming on for that and it, it was a lot of fun and um the am- amount of discussion about cockfighting is uh was much more than i was expecting in regards to a movie about ninjas so that's yeah. I'll, I'll give credit <laughs> to steve because he was surprised at the amount of cockfighting in that in that movie as well as well as i was so yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. We had had a lot of fun uh, talking um, ninjas and uh, the practicality of ninja wear, uh, ninja weapons, and uh, where you choose to have your office um, if you're an evil mastermind and trying to take over land. Do you have an office that's by an in, um, an indoor pool? Maybe, you know. So. Yeah. And yeah. you can hear about my uh, how I started my Ninja Star collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, check that out because uh, that's that's the two hours that you guys can listen to next week, and it was it was a lot of fun. But yeah, so that's going to do it for us this week. Talking about the little people, uh, enjoy the week off. Listen to some ninjas. Um, watch where you step. I think because you never know there might be a small civilization developing around you. So like, just be mindful of when you walk around. Um, yeah, that's a lesson uh, we can all learn. did you tell him oh, basic stuff where we're from how we got here what it's like on earth how advanced we are 